welcome back everybody to another episode of Level Up Cleveland. This week we have with us Cleveland drummer Dan Gillis. How's it going, guys? What's up, Dan? Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Um, Dan is a um, he's, he's more than just a drummer. He's kind of like the traveling drummer locally. He's in a number of bands. He's been in a couple bands you may be familiar with. Uh, Dirt was. It's been a few years since Dirt's been. You've been in, involved with them, and and um, they kind of like had their moment where they were really moving up, and then they kind of disappeared. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, talk about some of the bands that you're in. You're in a lot of tribute bands, actually. There's yeah. a lot of that going on where you actually have to kind of like mimic what these guys are doing in these other bands and learn exact drum parts to make the song sound the way they're supposed to sound because that's what tribute bands do. Yeah. Um, and real quick, the first time I actually saw you, when I actually first was at the, the Dine Affair, you were playing with Bernie Ansel. You were playing in uh, Made in America. I actually brought the shirt today. Nice. Um. Yeah, you're playing in Made in America, which is a, a if you haven't seen Made in America, man, that is one awesome band if you like Maiden. Awesome band to see. Thank you. There's really nothing like Bernie Hansel. Oh, he's Yeah, there's really nothing <laughs> like Bernie and he so so when you go see and he's in a lot of the bands that you're that you're with, right? Cuz Bernie can sing like anything. Oh, he can sing anything. Yeah, so you and 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 uh but yeah, that's that's what you do, right? You're 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 a kind of a hard hard rock and metal drummer. Um, you have a lot of those chops that you can that you're capable of doing. So therefore, you're needed on a lot of different areas because not everybody's doing this kind of thing, right? Pretty much, yeah. And the Made in America thing—that was my first show with them that you came to see. And I found out about the show two weeks before the show happened uh, because of the unfortunate, tragic. Uh, circumstances involving the previous drummer, Scott Boardman, may rest in peace. Um, he had reached out to me in February and said, hey, I got some dates that I might not be able to make. Can you fill in for me? And I was very intimidated, believe it or not, about Maiden. Like, I, I love Iron Maiden, but I didn't think I was capable of pulling it off. And I was, But I agreed to it, but I think, oh, I got time. You know, it's February, the show is in September, and and at one point he claimed he didn't need a backup anymore, and Bernie called me to tell me, he goes, yeah, Scott's going to stick with the band, uh, you know, but we're going to work on some other stuff, you know, with the Sabbath stuff, and I'm like, okay, cool, and a week later, Bernie calls me again, he goes, uh, so Scott just died, I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. And he, he, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I was floored, it, like absolutely stunned. And he goes, well, the guys in the band want to keep going, and we got a show in two weeks at the Medina County Fair. Uh, can I count on you? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> you're going to say yes yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And it was like, it was like a, I think the fact that it was so quick, like I didn't have time to really think about it and process this process it i think that's why it was it was able to come so not easy but it no, was you relied on instinct yeah yeah you were relying on a lot of instinct you know the maiden songs you yeah. know i'm up here oh yeah you know i'm like you know so no i was there i was actually at that one i was actually at the at the fair and definitely dude you pulled it off and and one thing about that band is those guys know those maiden tunes inside out and backwards i mean they're playing them tunes exact so 
You have to. Like you yeah. have you have to otherwise you would stand out. And no, they that was a great that was one of, that was a great show actually. That was probably the most fun I've ever had playing the show before. I mean that place was was jam packed. It was, man. And they were into everything and Bernie was working that crowd like you wouldn't believe and I easily the best band I've ever played with. Like right. as far as talent goes, they just are spot on. And one thing about Bernie when I first, you know, I had, I'd never met him before, you know, when we put together the Wall of Sleep band, the Black Sabbath band, um, you know, I had heard about him, but I didn't know him. And I was intimidated. You know, here's this guy. He's been singing for yeah, e- 40 e- years. Yeah. And, you know, with, in some, certain cases like that, they can, you know, they have, can have a bit of an ego or, you know, an yeah, right. air of confidence, you know, like, oh, who are you? And when I met him, I was taken aback by how down to earth he was and yeah. how like cool he is. And now I, I, I consider him to be a really good friend. And he's really kind of helped me pick up some more extra confidence in my abilities. You know, when you have someone like Bernie Hansel in your corner and it's like, yeah, man, that was awesome. And you're like, okay, I, I, I Sooner or later, I'm going to start listening to you and believing what you're telling me. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 really changed my my drumming uh, life, so to speak. Hooking up with Bernie and getting to know him better, and you know, kind of falling into his umbrella of of musicians, and it's 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 been cool. It's been really cool. Yeah. Now. Let's go over some of the bands you're in. You, you mentioned Wall Sleep. That's the Sabbath tribute band you're in. Yep. You're also in a Dio one too, right? Yes. Uh, that's called The Mob Rules. And that kind of happened uh, when, once we got Wall Asleep going and we wanted making a, a change in, at bass. And we got Jim Willison on bass. And, Jim and Jim's had, been on the show. He's, he's with, uh, glad to be here. Yeah. And he played, obviously, with Kodiak. And, you know, Jim's a great dude. Great bass player, awesome, awesome dude. Love, love Jim to death. So we got Jim on board, and we did a couple of shows with Wall Sleep. And as we were going and getting more traction with that, uh, Bernie got a call from Bob Walker, and Bob Walker plays guitar, and he played in the band called Live Evil. They're a DL tribute based in Akron, and he wasn't with them anymore. And he called Bernie and was like, "Hey, man, I see you guys got this Sabbath thing going on. You're doing DL stuff." That's fucking awesome. Um, if you need a backup for your dude, because I know he's busy, I'd do it. And Bernie was like, well, now that we're talking, I've always wanted to do a Dio tribute because I love Dio. I can sing just like him. What would you think of putting together another Dio tribute? And Bob's like, well, hell yeah. Who do you got in mind? And he goes, well, I think Dirty Dan. He calls me Dirty Dan. Yeah, I know. That's how <laughs> I asked him. I, I asked him who you were when I was there because I introduced you guys that day, if you remember. Yep. Right. Yep. And I and I was like, well, wh- I wanted to introduce everybody, you know. And what's 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 his name, you know? And he's like, that's Dirty Dan. <laughs> I'm like, Dirty Dan. That's his name. <laughs> he goes, well, Dirty Dan will do it. I know yeah. he will, and I think I think Big Jim will do it too. And so he calls me and he goes, Dude, what do you think of this? I'm like, You have no idea how big of a Ronnie James Dio fan I am. This is like making my life right now. Yeah. I, I this is like this is what I've always wanted to do, and now we get a chance to do it. Hell, it signed me up. So that band is we we practiced together. Uh, we started like late November. We've gotten together two or three times since then. It's been going really well. Um, 
I know we have a show lined up with them. Um, we're playing with a Metallica tribute called Sanitarium um, down in like the Dayton area. Yeah, they they, they do a, they do a lot of shows down there, like the, in Columbus and stuff like that. They have like when well, they have all the tribute bands playing. Sanitarium's a real big band down there. Yeah. And he reached out to me for that one. So I, I, don't, I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but it's like the end of June. Um, we'll get more details on that uh, if you follow us on Facebook. Uh, the Mop Rules Dio is the name of that one. Or if, add me. Um, but, yeah, so that's the one. I know, I, I know Bernie's really, really excited about it, about that project, and I am too. And so you guys will be doing not just Sabbath Dio, but you guys will just be doing Dio in general. Yes. Now, do you guys, do you guys like delve into Rainbow and like Elf and all that kind of stuff? Are you going there? We we haven't we haven't uh, done any Elf yet. It's it's come up, but we haven't. But you uh, will. You, you believe you're going to do that also? I hope so. That's cool, man. I hope so. I know. I know we do some Rainbow, um, Man in the Silver Mountain, and. Uh, Stargazer, which was my call. That's excellent. Because of the drum intro. I mean, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, those are definitely on the list. Um, and then a lot of the solo stuff, you know, obviously some of the standards, you know, like Ross, Last in Line and Holy Diver, Rainbow in the Dark. You know, but we get into a few uh, obscure ones too. Obviously a lot of the Sabbath uh, and a lot of the Heaven and Hell. We'll go as new as Bible Black. Um but we'll delve into some Dehumanizer and some Mob Rules. Obviously, the title track is the name of the band. Yeah. You know, a lot of the Heaven and Hell album, uh, obviously. So it's it's a nice, good range of of Ronnie, Ronnie's work uh, over his the span of his musical life. I mean... You know, we're not going as far back as the doo-wop stuff that he did in the 60s. Yeah, right. But well, you guys could, you guys might be, if you run out of stuff to do, you might have to delve into some of that stuff. That is cool, <laughs> though. That's out there. I mean, you can actually listen to it on YouTube. You can pull it right oh, up. Oh, yeah. That's neat. Um, so let me, let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's just figure out, like, when did Dan start playing drums and how does that happen? Like, when do you? Well, I, uh, formally, I didn't start playing until I was 18. Um, but I think I've always had it in me. Um, yeah. I can remember being a little kid and going in the kitchen and grabbing my mom's pots and pans and turning them upside down and grabbing a wooden spoon and just going to town. And, you know, after two or three times of getting yelled at for it, they finally kind of quit yelling at me. And uh, I've always kind of just, if I'm just sitting around, like not really thinking about anything, like when I was in class, I would have my pencil, I would grab another one, I'd just go, you know, hitting my desk, hitting the book. I didn't know what I was doing. I've never played. Was there something inside you that needed to get out? Type yes. Thing? Yeah. yeah. And I, I've always, it's, and I can remember my, my parents were big into 70s classic rock. You know, I grew born in 73. They had a lot of albums. And I was always enthralled by Kiss. And I can remember seeing Peter Chris in the cat makeup and the drums are way the hell up here. The and huge I'm, riser, yeah. And I'm like, God, that is so awesome. I want to do that. And fast forward into high school, and I get into heavy music, thanks to Metallica and Slayer. And, you know, so the Mick, big four, you, got, you, got, you went that route, the thrash route. The thrash route, yeah. And, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play drums. You know, I knew I couldn't play guitar. I didn't have the dexterity for it or the music. I couldn't read music. But with drums, I knew if I, I can pick up things and listen to it, and can say, okay, that's what he's doing. And my parents were 
basically thought that metal was a phase for me. And like, yeah, you'll get out of this in about two years. I'm thinking, you know, you don't know. <laughs> I'm almost 50. I'm still into it. Yeah. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> so, uh, but they were like, you know, we're not paying for this. If you know, you're going to get a job and, you know, if you want to do this and you're going to have to do it on your own, I'm like, okay, fine. You know, fair enough. And I just so happened to be working at a pizza shop with a guy who was a drummer and he taught. And one day we're talking and he goes, yeah, I play drums, blah, blah, blah. Dude, I've always wanted to play the drums. And he goes, well, how would you like to learn? I'm like, I would love it. And he goes, well, come on over next week and, you know, well, we'll, we'll, I'll teach you some stuff. And uh, his name is Jim Rico. Uh, now he's a pastor at a, the, the church, the Florence Congregational Church. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, he actually married me and my wife, which was cool. Uh, he officiated the ceremony. Um, so this guy's done a lot to change your life. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And uh, so he's teaching me stuff, and and I'm I'm picking he I'm picking stuff up pretty quick. And he's like. You're the one of the. You're probably the fastest person that, who's ever come in here and picked stuff up. Yeah. And he goes. Then he started getting more complicated. He goes, "Okay, well, if you do this, let's do this. If you do that, let's do that. If you do this, let's do this." And I took lessons from him for about a year, and then I kind of stopped and just started doing stuff on my own because he was more into Russian stuff. Like he's the one who got me into Neil Peart and uh, you know some of the Prague stuff. But, you know, my passions were, like, with Dave Lombardo and Lars Ulrich and Charlie Benate, you know. And yeah. he what, he didn't play that kind of – that he didn't play that kind of drums. Right. So he's like, well, here's a basic thing with a double bass. Uh, that's, that's all I can show you. Figure it out on your own. Yeah, right. So that's kind of what I did. And I just kind of been playing ever since. Uh, but, you know, life kind of – threw me into a, a, a like a sports writing direction and when you're when you're a full-time sports writer your nights and your weekends are pretty much full I got you so any so it was hard for me to try to get in get a band going or commit to music but I always had a drum set I always had it at home I always would mess around with it and I always knew that this is something I wanted to do but I just didn't have the time and you know, fate lent a, lent a hand to me, and uh, as, as I got into my 30s, I started going to jam nights. And Where were you going? Where, like, what were some jam nights you would go to? Uh, well, I live out in Lorraine County, so I was going to Mutton Jeff's in Lorraine. I didn't know that one. Uh, there was a jam night out at a place called Timbers in South Amherst. There's another place called the Trainwreck Tavern in South Amherst I went to. Uh, I was one at uh, Eddie's Club, which is now JT's Club in Illyria. There was another place in Illyria. Called so you were hitting a bunch. Yeah. So and and are you are you you're just going there and playing on their kits and, and doing that kind of thing at this time? Yeah. Now, do you have your own kit at this point? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. yeah. I have my own kit, but you know, I was always intimidated. You know, it's like I don't know if I'm good enough to play with these guys. Yeah. You know, and they I, they they kind of threw me up there, knowing that I was the the sports guy. And they're like, okay, well, let's see what you could do. And I surprised myself, and I surprised them. And even though I was playing music, I wasn't really comfortable playing, like, a lot of blues stuff and, you know, classic rock. You know, I wanted to play the metal stuff, but no one could play it in jam nights. So I, you know, but what it did was it helped me kind of get out of that, um, that 
So you had to, you had to get uncomfortable. You were you were getting outside your box. Yes. You were becoming uncomfortable, and you're becoming a better drummer as a result. Exactly, exactly. And it, it, it allowed me to 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 figure out you know how to be on stage, uh, you know what I could do on stage to kind of you know help the band and you know where the fills were good at and you know yeah learning all the all the the the, the, the technical parts of drumming and yeah. how to play with a band exactly that part now now like when you're doing all this stuff though what i noticed is like did you ever get into a, a a situation though where you're writing songs or you're doing your own music or you're in a band that's doing originals did you go down that road at all or i did um i uh i got hooked up with uh you might have heard of a band called crypt kicker oh yeah um i had known them for a long time and they reached out to me, uh, man, well, when, when was that? I think, it, I think it was 10 years ago. And they were going to get back together, but Eric Elkins was off doing, I think he was with Ripper Owens at the time with Beyond Fear. And uh, they had heard that I played, and they were like, would you like to come jam with us? I'm like, hell yeah, I'd like to come jam with you. <laughs> You're a crib ticker, you know? Yeah, right. So I, I jammed with him once or twice, and it, somehow Eric came back into the fold, and I did, did a couple of reunion shows and put it on the pay no mind list. Well, fast forward about a year or two, and uh, they reached out to me again, and they did like a they played a, a friend of theirs' uh, wedding, and they didn't have a drummer, so they programmed that they did a drum machine and they played acoustic guitars. And I guess it was different, but people loved it. And they were like, well, let's try this Crip Kicker Unplugged thing. And would you like to try to play with this? I'm like, sure. You know, I'll give it a shot. So we were we were writing songs for that project, and I was coming up with my own stuff for it. And it was going along really well, but uh, I forgot what happened. Something happened. Uh, Christmas came, and then after Christmas, they were like, well, you know, we're a little busy. We'll get. We'll let you know when we get back together. And I'm still waiting for them to call me. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. But uh, but it was it was it it it, it kind of it, it playing in that with with them kind of gave me a lot more confidence too because you know that's a band that I used to go see down at the Flying Machine all the time and whatnot and you know here they you were are like, playing with them now. Yeah, here I am. I'm playing with them and I'm hanging with them. You know, and they're liking what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, this is this is something that I could pursue. And then uh, after that, I got hooked up with a band called Sleep Lord. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I, that, that's that's uh, Ed Miller. Yep. Yep. And, at one uh, point, he was at, in with them. At one yeah. point. Yeah. They had a lot of different lineups. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and when I came in, I was um, Teddy Anderson. It was a good friend of mine. He had actually just left. And my friend, John Robb, who would later would form Dirt with me, uh, was tapped to be the new singer. And John was a longtime DJ in WOBC and did metal shows. And I did too, actually, at one point, but we were, like, separate. So we had all these parallels. We finally got together and met. It was like, okay, the metal universe is happy. Um, <laughs> so he got in with the with them, and they had a drummer who was a bad alcoholic and was, like, getting sloppy on stage and falling over and falling into his kit and, you know just bad and uh john goes well i know a dude that plays the drums and he played with crypt kicker once and twice 
And they're like, okay, well, have them come down and jam with us. And that was me. So I, I did, and uh, it, went pretty, it went pretty good. And uh, so I was with them for about, we were that lineup for three months. But, you know, things happen, and drama ensues. And uh, Yeah, like, well, we talk about it all the time on this show. It's just very, very, very hard keeping bands together. Yeah. You know, especially those, those kind of bands, you know, and, and when there's progress being made and stuff, and then people's egos get out of control or well, something happens, you know, usually, and it just escalates until it's over. Yeah. So that didn't, that, that kind of fell apart. But one, one thing when we were getting together was we had played a couple of covers together. And one was Electric Funeral by Sabbath, and then the other one was There's Something on My Side by Down. And it seemed like we played those songs better than we were doing the original stuff that they were doing. And so when we broke off with that, John and I were like, well, we should start our own band. And the one thing that was always in the back of my mind is I'd seen a million bands, you know, from the time I was 17 years old all the way to, you know, that time, a lot of cover bands. And all the cover bands in Cleveland or in, you know, Northeast Ohio always seem to be playing like these the same stuff. You know, a lot of 90s grunge stuff or post-grunge alternative stuff. And then there was some, you know, hair metal here and there. And, of course, they were the, the standard, you know, 70s classic rock bands. But nobody was doing metal. Nobody was playing, like, Big Four stuff. Nobody was do, nobody was doing, you know, Priest other than Living After Midnight or Metallica other than Inner Sandman, you know. Yeah. And... and I'd always go see these bands and just to be kind of a smart ass afterwards. I'm like, hey, how come you guys you guys should do some Slayer? And they laughed at me. Oh, that doesn't that don't go over. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it does. Just you wait. Well, there's just nobody can play it. Yeah. That's the thing about Slayer. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I always wanted to be to do that because it's it's so technically it's just it's difficult, but it's a fun difficult. And it's something that I was comfortable with. Because I've been playing it my whole, you know, up my whole life, you know, that's what I wanted to do, and so we we are we decided we wanted to be the band that we always wanted to see, but nobody else would do. And there were a lot of people who told us when we were putting it together that, oh, that would never work. That's never going to fly. You're never going to get booked. No one's going to come pay to see you. The, the whole nine yards, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of doubters, a lot of, you know, you're wasting your time. You'll never get out of your basement. Yeah. All the, all the normal shit you hear. Yeah. And we actually started out. So when we put the band together, we start. it was originally initially an Alice in Chains band, which was a huge mistake because John's vocals aren't anywhere near Lane Staley's. But oh. it was something that it was someone threw out an idea on Facebook and we responded to it. And it was like, OK, this is this will be something that we do. And then we're going to realize that this ain't going to work and then we're going to change it. That was my that was my vision from the get go. I'm like, OK, we get these people in. We'll start doing this. I'm like, hey, what about this song? What about this song? What about this song? And next thing you know, we're going in a different direction. And that's what happened. But it took a while. Yeah. You know, and that's where the name Dirt came from. It came from the Alice in Chains album. Yeah. Um, you guys even spell it, the, the lettering the, is, is similar to yeah. how the album was spelled. Yeah. And so we, we actually were able to do a couple of shows together 
under the Alice in Chains banner, but they just didn't go very well. And actually, uh, a little funny aside story, I noticed you had the band Bad Juju in here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, they actually got started off of Dirt. Um, their, their founding guitarist was the guy who put on Facebook that he wanted to start an Alice in Chains band, and we reached out to him. His name is Rick Beamer. And as we got going, we knew that the AIC wasn't going to work. But John and I had ideas of going this way, whereas Rick was wanted to go this way. Got you. And there was some clashes building up, and eventually he kind of threw up his hands and said, "Let's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave." And uh, so, so dirt went a different direction, and and that's how dirt became what it actually became. Yes, and he wound up going and hooking up with Dan Cabasa and started what wound up becoming Bad Juju. Okay, so, so I see. So, so that blander, that that band splintered into those two bands and yep. became two bigger. That's like the Megadeth Metallica thing, right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, well, listen, we're gonna take a quick break, okay. and then we'll, and we'll come back and we're gonna talk a little bit more about this because we got to hear what happened to Dirt. Cool. When we come back. With Dan Gillis. You're listening to Level Up Cleveland. Hello, everybody. Big Bry here. This June 10th Level Up Cleveland concert series presents Bittersweet Revenge. You can try to Olathea. And Craig Martini. See them all June 10th at the Maple Grove Tavern. Show starts at 8 p.m. 21 or over. Go to levelupcleveland.com for tickets and information. What's up, everybody? This is Don Foose from One Life All In, The Spud Monsters, Run Devil Run, Lifeline, and my solo band, Foose. I'm coming at you live to let you know I have a new book out called Motivate Me. It's a memoir of inspirational quotes, stories, and life lessons. This book takes you through my life and shows how I've handled adversity firsthand by the inspiration of others. If you lack enthusiasm but want to make goals in life and get after them, then this book is for you. To order, go to my website at foosforlife.com, F-O-O-S-E-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com, foosforlife.com. I'd like to send a big shout-out to Big Bry and Pat the Producer at Level Up Cleveland for making a platform for hometown musicians and artists like myself to promote our bands and projects. This is Don Foos signing off for the Level Up Cleveland podcast. Peace out. With Mr. Dan Gillis, Dirty Dan, if it's Bernie talking, right? Hey um, there, Dirty Dan. So, so you're in dirt. Let's get back to the dirt story real quick. You're in dirt. You guys have decided that you're not going to be an Alice in Chains type tribute thing. You're already starting to make the changes to yeah. do it. The the one guy in the band, 
What was his name that, that decides you guys are going to split with? Rick. Rick. Rick decides, I don't like the direction you guys want to go. You split up, and dirt becomes what dirt really was known for, which yeah. was doing a much more harder edge, heavier, the kind of the big Ford thing, the thrash metal more, introducing more of that into the sets. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of bands doing it at the time. There was very few bands, at least if they were, they weren't doing it well. Yeah. And um, so that's where you're at right now. And you guys are you guys are playing all over the place. You're playing a lot of Parma gigs, I remember. Oh yeah. Playing a lot, you know, you're playing all over. I remember you guys are all over the place. So so go ahead. What happens with what happens with dirt? Well, the, the biggest problem with dirt, we were together for six and a half years, and we achieved a lot. My expectations for dirt got way exceeded. Um, I was just hoping to do like my 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 ultimate goal was if we can get 100 shows with this band I will be thrilled we wanted doing 131 yeah that's cool um, so you know but the problem was is we could never keep us a, a consistent lineup and it started with Rick leaving but it was like we were always kind of having to replace on the fly and why do you think that is why do you think you, the guys are leaving what what what's the I don't know I mean the uh, I know so, like when we started to get popular, we I, I was the one in charge of the booking. So I went from having to, like, beg, borrow, and steal to get into places to all of a sudden places are calling me. You're having to say no maybe even sometimes because yeah. you have too much stuff booked. Yeah, so it was like, you know, and I want to take as much as many shows. I mean, if you're in a band, you're in a band to play out. That's the way I look at it. If you're not, then you're wasting your time. So I was like, yes, please, you know. Take advantage of whatever we can get because you never know how long you're going to be able to do it. Right. The windows are small. The windows are small. But there is, you know, some people didn't like to play out that much as much as we were getting to to, to do. Um, some people just weren't into the music. Um so the grind was a big thing, though, right? I mean, like, yeah. that, 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 that's what uh, you brought up Bad Juju. That's exactly the story they told us, too, because they had some turnover in their band also. And it becomes the grind, you know. If you're going to do these cover things, if you're going to make money doing anything, if, you know, like, it's not, it's, not, it's not necessarily the primary reason why you do it, or it's definitely not the reason you get into doing this stuff. But eventually, you, f you realize that you can make some money doing this stuff, and the tribute thing is the, is the moneymaker for sure right oh, now. Oh, yeah. So... When you're doing all that kind of thing, and you're and you're and you're getting these opportunities, especially as a tribute band, because you can get paid good money as a tribute band from these bars as per per gig. You you tend to get, you know, you want to take on a lot of gigs, and this is you know you can make a lot of extra money, or this could be your this can be your living if you do this right. Yeah, but it is a grind, and yeah. only some people can do this kind of thing. And some people have families, and they have lives, and they have things, they have jobs, they have other things that they have going on. They can't. Their time can't be split up that way. That's usually what that's a, that's a lot of it. And, yeah. And, and you were one of the animals that they can just keep going and just doing it, right? I mean, that's it. Yeah. And that's the you know, I w like I said, when you go and you you spend your first year and a half, two years, basically, you know, hoping that they would book you, and then all of a sudden you're you you've established yourself enough to where what you're doing is different from everybody else. And we're presenting it in a different way from everybody else. And, you know, the other good thing, the one good thing, too, you know, a lot of people maligned the, the vocals. I've heard that quite a bit. That was another reason, but just the complaints about them. But one thing that he brought to the table was he got a wireless microphone, and he wouldn't stay on the stage. He would go and walk around and sit at the bar and, 
sit at tables and stand Trying on tables. Trying to include people into yeah. the whole gig and yeah. get everybody involved. And it was it was unique. No one was doing that. But if you look around now at some of the bar, the bands that are playing, there's a lot of them now that do it. So I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was unique. It was different, and it worked. And it was it it made us stand out from what everybody else was doing. It wasn't just four guys standing on the stage yeah. and playing the same old same old shit. You know, we were playing a, a a a different type of music. There was an audience for it. People loved it because that's what they grew up with, and we were doing it. We were doing it well. And it was, but the, like I said, it was like, we'd start to get some really positive momentum and all of a sudden someone would say, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And it's like, ah, oh, next. We had to go through the whole process, finding somebody, getting them in, get the process going again. When it was going good, I can't do this anymore. <sighs> next. You don't think though, I guess what I'm saying though is what I was asking about, like why this is happening. I get it's a grind, but sometimes there's also personnel issues within a band where there's a person or somebody who comes off strong, who comes mm -hmm. off a certain way towards people, and it rubs people the wrong way, yeah. and that can create a turnover also. Anything like that that you, I mean, was it could have been? It could have been, yeah. I mean, there was some personalities didn't mesh uh, a, cu a couple of times, and, you know, it's unfortunate that that happens. Um you know, it does though. I mean, like it's a relationship that you're trying to build, and sometimes you don't get along. Yeah, and there's a couple. There's a couple of people that were in the band that, you know, there was a personality clash between me and them, or John and them, or you know, yeah, and you know, something they had to give, and you know, they decided to go off and do their own thing. So what does give? How how does dirt finally? What comes? What, what breaks dirt? Uh. What breaks dirt is our last lineup change. Um, by the way, we went we went through five different bass players. Um, wow, I can't. I didn't even know there was five bass players. In. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of bass. Players. Yeah, and we went through th four full time guitar players, not including the first guy who quit before our first show. Um, so we finally, when the last guitar player. Uh, Robert Spinks uh, announced that he was leaving. Um, he just wanted to, he didn't want to play out anymore. He just wanted to be done with music. We were having a very tough time replacing him. And we had three people who agreed to audition, but they backed out at the last, literally the last minute. And when I pressed them on it, they all said that they had a problem with the vocals. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this still is a, you know, and so I was getting a little fed up. And in the meantime, John and John wanted to try something different. And so we started a, a, a side band called Dirt Road, where it was going to be like, it was supposed to be like a Southern rock type of, you know, band. John was into country music and, you know, yeah. the 70s. And I was into 70s music. And I thought, well, you know, I can't do this. I can't play like Dave Lombardo my whole life. I'm getting old. I'm, you know. The, I get, I, you know, my recovery time after shows is getting longer and longer. You know, I can see the the end of the, the tunnel here. Yeah. So this was kind of like, okay, maybe this turns into something, the permanent and dirt goes to the, the wayside. Well, Dirt Road didn't last either. Um, certain people shouldn't sing Billy Joel songs. 
Um, you know. Yeah. It, it, so, it, so the vocal thing is keeps coming up in this conversation. There was yeah. a, there was a problem. People had a problem with the vocals. Yeah. And you were getting tired of hearing that. That was you felt like it was kind of holding things back a little bit. Yeah. And we finally we finally found a guy. Um, his name is uh, Jimmy Bradley. And we finally got him in. I looked at John. I said, John, I can't do this no more. I said, this is our last lineup. I can't go through the whole rigmarole of finding a guy and giving him up to speed and dropping songs off the list that don't get learned and whatnot. I said, this is it. This is our final lineup, for better or worse. Ride this thing out as long as we can. And as soon as somebody says they don't want to do it anymore, the end of dirt. John agrees. Fair enough. So... And that lineup, I, 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 and I said it at the time, and a lot of people could, you know, fans say this all the time, you know, oh, our lineup, this lineup's the best lineup ever. And some people look at it as lip service. Well, I, I 100% agree or can say this with conviction that the last lineup of Dirt was the best lineup we ever had. As far as musically, as far as the song selection, as far as even John singing was, was getting improved. And it was, everything was clicking and everything was, was going well and then uh just some uh tension started to rise again and uh i kind of found myself in the middle of a few a few few tensions between certain parties and uh it was it just it started to get real ugly and you know you had reached you, you, something inside you that had just reached the, the end finally. Yeah, and I was I was noticing a strain in my friendship with the guy who started this thing with me. Yeah, you know, and it was starting to really bother me. You know, I'm like, great, here we go. You know, and it was it, it just it just kind of there was a lot of little things that just kind of built up and yeah. built up, and finally. Uh, uh, Alex, our the base, our basis of informed that we were he was wanting to leave, and we were going to try to talk him out of it. And my goal was to try to string it out as far as we could, get through the summer of twenty two, and then, you know, and I knew once Alex was gone, that Jimmy was going to be gone. Jimmy wanted to, Jimmy got married, he wanted to start a family, and I knew once he started the family, he was going to have time for a band. So, and I knew I also I say had. Back to the earlier, once I said, this is our last lineup. Once somebody leaves, I'm done. So I knew we were going to be finished. And, but it came to a point where we, there was no possible way we could have extended it any further. Yeah. Like it just had to, it just had to be done. You knew it was then. The the end, the end was inevitable. It was over with, but, but it didn't end, it didn't end real ugly then. You guys basically were able to salvage like it, it, it wasn't as if like there was a hatred and no one was beating anybody up. It, it, it did end or did it get ugly? It got ugly afterward. Um, but at the time I was hoping that, you know, by ending the band that things could be patched up and everything could, you know, yeah. you know, you know, to me, the biggest tension of my friendship was this band. Will we get rid of the band and maybe we'll get back to being, you know, yeah, buds. And that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> so it didn't work out the way you thought it was going on. Huh? No, and uh, and uh, part of the part of the problem too was uh, going back to January after Dirt Road fizzled out. I got hooked up with my wife's cousin. His name's Chris Biggin, and he does country. 
and he was looking for music, musicians to play with. He had he had a band. The band broke up, and he wanted he's been he'd been wanting to jam with me from the moment Allie and I got together. So I said, okay, we'll jam. And he goes, well, what a, you know anybody who'd want to play with us? And I'm like, what about your band? I'm like, well, they're not really into country music, or you know, I can ask. And to my surprise, they were like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And I think they were kind of looking for something different too. So we started to jam here and there. And then when Dirt Road came to an end, we had some shows lined up. And I went to these bars and said, look, this band's over. I got three bands. I got Dirt. I got Wall of Sleep as my Sabbath band that we're looking to get some shows going. And I got this band with this Chris Biggin guy that does country music. Oh, we like this Chris Biggin guy. That sounds like more of our speed. So Chris got the shows that Dirt Road didn't. Well, that added some tension. I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It seemed like you were picking favorites. It seems like you weren't you weren't being loyal. This is this is the way it looked. And so therefore this creates this this other tension now. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that's crap. Yeah, it was it was and I'm just trying to do right by you know, the clubs by Chris, because I, Chris, yeah. Chris is going to be something. And I wanted, and I wanted to help him get yeah out there. Be a know? part of it too, a little bit. Like yeah. That, right? yeah. But at the same time, I didn't want to give up, you know, where my passions were. My passions were with metal, you know. I figured, well, I can balance everything and everything would work out. And it didn't. And well, there it is. I mean, like, that's it. I mean, like, you know, it's over. And then, I mean, you're still doing all this stuff. It's not like that band ended you. Exactly. You know, like, you still got a lot going on there. Exactly. And real quick, you mentioned your wife. And I just saw a picture recently where you guys all went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. And I got a question. Yes. How did you get everybody to wear Slayer shirts? I, I got to be honest with you. I was so impressed with that. I was like, dude, this dude got his whole family to wear Slayer shirts. Like, that's unheard of. How did you get everybody to wear Slayer shirts? Is that, like, just like, did they all really listen to Slayer? Well, <laughs> my wife found the T-shirts at Target, oh. of all places, and thought it would be funny to get them all Slayer shirts for Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know, and she goes, and it could be from Uncle Dan, you know. <laughs> so, to my surprise, my my uh, sisters-in-law were actually, like, they thought it was great. And this their whole family is all country music. Yeah, right. They're not into, you know, Metallica is probably the heaviest that they go. So needless to say, I was I was a little like, oh great, here goes my honeymoon period. I'm that would be exercised the family now. <laughs> That's cool. But, but they no, loved I, it. I thought that picture was awesome, man. All right, now let's change. We're gonna change gears here real quick. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that you got into writing a sports column. Yes. And I've one of the reasons why you're even on this show is because I'm friends with you on Facebook. We're friends, you know, and you write you 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 post a lot of stuff. But a lot of stuff you post is about the local Cleveland scene. And you know a lot about it, obviously. You have a lot of opinions about it. You know what you're talking about. And it impressed me. And I was I, I tended to read a lot of that stuff. And I was like, I really want to get this guy on. I, you know, I, I know you can play <laughs> drums. I saw you. You do this also. I thought that was intriguing. So tell me a little bit about how that starts real quick and, and, and how that how do you get to where you're at now with all that. Well, I, uh, I actually wanted to be in, in radio. It was originally what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into radio. I wanted to be. I wanted to be Pete Franklin. <laughs> I grew up listening to Pete Franklin. He was hilarious. You know, he taught. He gave his opinion and he told people they were idiots on the phone. I'm like, I want to do that. Yeah. So that's what I went to college for at first. And then someone, my a guidance counselor, suggested, well, you should take journalism classes. You know, it'd be a good if you want to be a serious about it. You know, have yeah. a journalism background is a good thing. 
But I started taking journalism classes and realized that I can write a little bit. And what I was able to do, you know, I was able to, I could write on the fly and write quick and process everything and take stats. So I was getting, that was my best class. I was getting A's in it. And whereas everything else I was getting C's. So I was like, all right, let's, let's pursue this. And, uh, my mother, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, saw an ad in the morning journal, which is my hometown paper. And they were looking for high school sports writers. And she goes, call this number right now and talk to Mr. Kermit Rowe. I said, okay, before I could even like process it, I got a phone with it on in my ear, call this number. I'm like, okay, thanks mom. (laughs) So I did. And best thing she ever told me to do because that became my career. And I started it in September of 94. Um, Working for who now? The Morning Journal in the Rain, and yeah. I worked my way up to be a full-time sports writer. I was my, I was, I did that through college and then after college, um, and I was there till 2008, so I was there 14 years. Um, went to the Sandusky Register for six months, went to the Lyria Chronicle Telegram after that, uh, then started freelancing and just writing for everybody. I've got... If I listed all the papers I've written for, it's, it would we'd be, we'd be here for a while. Yeah, right, 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 but right. But the most recent, I, I, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've been hooked up with the Plain Dealer now for the last uh, four or five years. Um, Very cool. Com. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a blessing. Um, I, I I love I love sports. I grew up in a sports family. Um, you know, my my grandfather was a coach. My dad played. He was a coach. Um, so I've always had that it background. And even though I was a shitty athlete, um, believe it or not, I, I still loved, I was still passionate about sports. I loved it. So when the time came to write about it, I found that I, I, I could translate my English ability, my writing ability into my passion for sports. And it just is like the perfect marriage. Yeah. You know, sounds like that's, that's for sure. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I guess the obvious question is like, what, what, what do you think is going to happen next year with Cleveland Browns? I mean, like, you, you know, like, well, it's, you know, it's just such a crazy story. Everybody talks about it a lot because it's just like insanity every year. And I have my opinions, you know what I mean? And, and, and Pat, he's a, he's a freak, freak when it comes to the Browns. It's always bad. So, you know, like we have our opinions also, but I'd be curious, like somebody who's, who's does what you do. How do you think about what's been going on and real quick? It doesn't, you know, but, and, and what do you think t- next year is going to be like? Well, you would hope that uh, Deshaun Watson won't be as rusty as he was and would be more of like the quarterback he was with Houston. I mean, that was when, – when they got him, that was my thought. I'm like, finally, we have, a, we have a quarterback that has this insane ability that we can just say, you're the quarterback, and we don't have to worry about any other BS like with any of the other guys that we had, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know – then he gets suspended and all that nonsense, and it just kind of sets the whole process back, you know. So you hope now that all that all that bullshit is behind him with, uh, you know, the legal stuff and whatnot, that he can focus, truly focus on football, be in the building, you know, learn the offense. Maybe the offense will get a little more better, um, you know, to take advantage of the unique skill set that he has. Because I, I, last year when they brought him in, they were still running the – Jacoby, yeah, the, offense, the Jacoby offense, you know, and I know they want, I know why they did it, you know. Obviously, you don't want to like throw him right to the wolves, you know, but you know, clearly they had the training wheels on him, 
you know, and it, I think it, I think it hindered what the Browns wanted to do because he's not a, he's not a, he's not a game manager. Jacoby Brissett is Baker Mayfield was case Keenum was all those guys were game managers that he's ever worked with. Just Deshaun Watson is not a game manager, you know, now the question is though, can he get back to being that elite level player? And there's a lot. What do you think? Do you think he can? I think that he can. Um, They think he will. Uh, you know, you know, you know what's funny about the Browns. I tend to say this a lot. I think the Browns are a lot more than just the players. I think the problem with the Browns comes from the fact that I think people view the Browns outside of in Cleveland as a bunch of fucking losers. Mm. I think the organization is considered losers. I think we it's been going on for so long that people actually don't. And I think when Jarvis Landry came in here for a moment there, he kind of changed things just for a moment, mm-hmm. just enough to get through one year where we went to the playoffs and, and all that seemed to be going just well. And then adversity, adversity hits the next year, and it, we all go right back to that loser mentality, and that's exactly what I saw play out. That's yeah. exactly what I saw play out. And here we are now with people questioning whether Deshaun Watson's going to come back to being the player he used to be. The guy's, what, 26 years old? Yeah. He's okay. still in the prime of his career. Yeah, I mean, I mean, by all rights, he should. Yeah. The problem that I have is whether he will or not is can he overcome the loser mentality of this team? Because it's going to take a quarterback to do it, right? It's going to be a quarterback that comes in here and somehow changes things around. Yeah. It's going to be that. Nothing else will. So, I mean, I don't think coaches do. You know, people talk about Stefanski all the time, right? This is what this is my opinion about Stefanski. I used to go to the Browns games a lot, 92, 3, and 4, Okay. That was when Belichick was the coach here, and the people here fucking hated Hated him. him. They didn't just hate him. They would literally camp outside the locker room after the game and chant, Bill must go, 30, 40 strong. Yep. Loud. Bill must go. He heard that. Believe me. We hated Bill Belichick. His name was Bill fucking Belichick. That was the guy we wanted out of here, okay? And I'll never forget that. Now, am I saying Stefanski's Belichick? I don't know. I doubt it. I'm not saying he is or isn't. All I'm saying is... I'm not ready to. Th- I'm not. One thing that doesn't work is firing coach after coach no. after coach. That does not work. No, it so, doesn't work. So I'm I'm willing to just deal with it. And that's point. and that's the thing is I've been trying to. I get a little opinionated on Facebook with my Brown with my Cleveland sports takes, and some of them are popular and some of them aren't. But right. uh, you know I own them. But the one thing is, it seems like the the popular take now and the low hanging fruit locally is, oh, Stanky needs to get out of here. They need to fire him. He's horrible. They need to start over. I go, okay, who do you want to hire? Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. That exactly. The, you're going to trust them to do hire another guy yeah. and get it right? And like, it, is this enough? Is and enough. it's going to be another unproven coordinator who's never been a head coach before that you got to have a grace period with. You know, maybe he's going to win right away. Like Stefanski happened to win in his first year, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, things fall off after that. Yeah. And, you and, know, and, you're not going to get a Sean Payton in here. You're not going to get, you know. No, and, it, and even, if the, you know, even – the, the Browns are in a situation now where even if you, you want to f- do all these things and you want to change all these things, bottom line is this. If Deshaun Watson does not work out, nothing matters. Yep. They've traded everything away. They've, they've completely stretched. So, so if you really don't believe in Deshaun Watson, quit watching him. Exactly. Because they're, they're done. They're done. It, they, it's either him or bust or at bust. this point. So so you got five years or at least five. I mean, it took 20 without the Deshaun Watson situation. It took us 20 years, and we still haven't gotten it right. Yep. So, you know, like I I just, I just, just like you said, I hope it works out. 
The Browns have definitely soured me, though, over the years. I'm not the, the sports guy I used to be because I can only put up with so much of this kind of stuff. It just drives me crazy after a while. Oh, I used to be I used to be the biggest homer, the biggest, like, optimist with, with, Brown, with the Browns. And then, you know, Johnny Manziel kind of changed that for me. And then 0-16 and 1-15 yeah, made it even yeah, worse. It just... and, it got, and basically, and then Baker Mayfield, I couldn't stand. I hated that dude. And <laughs> it was like, after, it was like, that just kind of just turned me into this, like, Cynical type of Cynical, guy. Yeah, man. Your typical Cleveland, you know. That's it. And it, I'm like that with everything. I'm like that with the Indians or whatever they're called nowadays and the, the Cavs. Yeah. You, you just know, expect them to lose the last you, game of every year if they're, know, no matter what because that's just what they do. But I am I am optimistic about the Cavs. The Donovan Mitchell trade is, is has been working out pretty well. And, uh, you know. And, I, the, and the Guardians. I mean, let's just be honest. Both teams. I mean, like, I, I – I, I, <sighs> The Guardians was one of the most fun years. This is one of the most fun years. This last one of all time because nobody saw it coming. No. So they got all that going on for them and everything. Um, but yeah, dude, I think that's. I, I just want to say, I just think it's neat that you are involved in all that kind of stuff. Also, on top of the music, you do the sports thing. You write. You're very knowledgeable. It's fun to talk to you about stuff like this too. I noticed. You know, it's cool. Very cool conversation we're having. And you're the bands that you're in right now. You're in. The Dio tribute band, which is Mob Rules. Yep. You're in the Wall Sleep with Wall uh, Sleep. the Sabbath thing. Yep. You're doing Made in America. Made in America. What yeah. else? Uh, I just started a band called Downtime. Well, I didn't really start it. They were together and they needed a drummer. Um, and is that down? Is that, is that going to be like the... No, it's 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 pretty much going to be a standard cover band. Oh, okay. Um, it's, you know, it's going to be... We might do... We're going to do some deep cuts, but we're also going to do some standards. You know, we'll do 80s stuff, 90s stuff. You know, it'll be it'll be a good, real-rounded rock band. Cool. You know? Cool. So I'm looking forward to that. We have our first show, actually. It'll it'll That show will actually be after... Before this airs. I got you, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about it. It's... it's it To me, it, it you know, the tribute stuff is... You know, bookings are, you know, here and there. You know, we're doing maybe three or four shows a year for each band. So I wanted something to kind of fill in that downtime, no pun intended. And it just kind of happened that that's downtime happened. (laughs) So we'll see. You know, I'm I'm optimistic about it. I hope it it goes well. The guys seem really cool. Um, And, uh, you know. Cool. So look out for all this stuff. This yeah. is going to be a good summer for you, man. I think you're going to be a busy dude this summer. Got a lot of stuff going on. I know Bernie plays out, man. He's like he's out there doing his thing too. So when you're hooked up with him, you'll be you'll be doing some shit. Oh yeah, I'm excited. All right, well that's it. We're out of time. I really appreciate you coming down, hanging out, man. It's good conversation, man. You're a fun dude. Thanks, brother. I appreciate Hell it. Hell yeah, man. It's been awesome. Check it out, man. All them bands we just mentioned. Keep your eye out for them. Dan will be behind the kit. And all of them jamming. And he's a good drummer, man. I'm telling you guys, I love it. All right, that's it from us. And we will see you guys next week. This has been Level Up Cleveland. There's a new episode every week. Available now on all streaming services. You can catch every episode of Level Up Cleveland on YouTube. Till next week. Rock on. That'll be fine.